Amen. Thank you, ladies. If you got a Bible, please, would you grab it and turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 23, looking at Paul's plans and God's will. Um, if you've been with us for this journey, we are on the home stretch. We're going to start chapter 16 next week, and it gets kind of complicated as we look at these letters that we remember was an actual letter written from an actual person named Paul the Apostle to a church that he loved, these believers in Rome that was made up of Jews and Gentiles. There's conflict, there's the divisions, there's some things like that, but it's a healthy church, relatively healthy. Paul says you've got a great reputation, but there's things to work through. Today, um, I, I just quickly, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting text, but I need to tie in last week just to kind of help it make sense a little bit. We looked last week because, because excuse me, Paul uh, painted a picture for what it looks like for a believer, for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus to live a life with purpose. I shared a story of, uh, of a guy named John Piper that spoke at a conference that I went to when I was in college, and his premise was don't waste your life and what it looks like to live a life, not just to accomplish the American dream and, and establish wealth, have a house, have a car, have a family, and do all these, retire early and just enjoy life, but to live one with purpose. And the tragedy sometimes for those who are in Christ is we, if we're not careful, it could be an inward-focused life where we compartmentalize Jesus and squeeze him in. And if, if the truth be told, Paul would preach this several times, and it's going to come up today, that we don't compartmentalize Jesus. It's, it's an all-encompassing, dying-to-self, sacrificial life where it's about him and how he penetrates every area of our life. And last week, just before we read our text, it'll help today, about living with purpose, we looked about a life with purpose being driven by grace, centered on the gospel. It is lived for his glory, not ours. It is accomplished by the power of God in about reaching the world for Jesus. If you're a Christian in the room, did you know, tag your it, that you have been called to a ministry and a purpose in this life? And that ministry and purpose was not just to have a family, a career, a life, and do good things and then uh, go to heaven someday when he calls you to glory. But is in this purpose, this life, in the world you live in with the people in your circle to have a ministry. We're all ministers of the gospel, the hands, the feet, the arms, the legs, the body of Christ. It's not simply just vocational ministers that preach and teach and do their best to serve the church. We're all called to do that. So today, if you don't mind standing, we'll read our text today. Uh, Paul's going to conclude chapter 15, and he's looking forward to visiting these folks, but he's not going to get there in the way that he thinks is going to happen. Today's text is going to be broken down into several things. We're going to see what Paul wants to do, we're going to see what Paul had to do, and then we're going to see what he expects the church to do. We're going to talk about prayer a little bit. But before we read, before we get to 22, would you just, if you have your Bible, go up just a little bit. Go to verse 20. I'm going to read there. If you don't mind, Charlie, that's a curveball. Sorry about that. I, I don't think you have it on the screen there. But I just want you to see it'll make sense of why Paul's not going to get there, what he's doing. So let me start in verse 20, then we'll start with 22, where we're at. Paul says this, starting verse 20. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Today's text, verse 22. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and have, to, have you assist me on my journey there. And after I've enjoyed your company for a while... Now, however, I'm only on my way to Jerusalem in service of the saints there. Verse 26. 
from Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution or an offering for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews who share them with their material blessings. So after I've completed the task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will enjoy the full measure of Christ's blessing. I urge you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem will be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you, together with you, excuse me, and be refreshed. The God of all peace be with you. Amen. Let's pray together. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, this is an opportunity for you. We do it every week, just for you to have a little bit of space for yourself. Um, just be still for a moment in your own heart, in your own way. Um, I don't know what your weekend's been like or your week ahead or week behind you, uh, but we have this, this corporate gathering that God has created and designed for us to be in this place. Would you just ask him to do something great today? I tell you every week, I can't change your heart. I can't, I can't even change my heart. The word of God and the spirit of God can do that. And so if you're willing, would you just ask him to do something today in your heart to change you, to shape you, to mold you, that we might be different than we look? If you don't mind, would you say just a brief prayer for me that I would preach according to the Bible uh, in a way that's clear, the way that makes sense that we would learn from this today. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. Do something great in our midst. Get all the praise and all the glory for it. And we ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't about you, but if you've ever been excited about going somewhere and you're longing to be there, whether it's a vacation or a trip, and you know, a lot of times it doesn't end up being the way that you think it's going to be when you get there. I remember growing up as a kid, whether it be going to, to a Six Flags or going to see Cousins, I, I couldn't go to sleep the night before. I was so excited, and then it almost never works out. Sometimes it's better, but sometimes it's not as good. Sometimes things don't work out the way that you imagined it, but there's a longing to do these things. There's a longing to see people. There's a longing to, to, to see cousins or see friends or go on vacation and do these things. I just want you to feel the angst of this because Paul has been longing to see these people in Rome. He loves them, and, and just no curveballs today. He's going to eventually get there, but it's not going to be the way he thinks. He's going to be on a boat that's going to be shipwrecked. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be in prison. He's going to be in uh, chain. He's going to be all of these things, and nothing seems to work out the way that Paul really thinks it's going to work out. What we're going to learn from today is really simple. It's kind of a simple, but I think we can apply this because Paul is going to show us, because we talk about a life well lived, a life lived well for the gospel with purpose, not to waste it. We're going to see Paul model this for us. And I said it earlier, I think we have it broken down into three things. We're going to see what Paul wants to do. We're going to see what he had to do. And then we're going to see what he expects the church to do. That's kind of how we're going to break this text down today. So as we jump right into this, we've seen this as Paul longs to be in Rome. We're going to look at verse 22. He's excited. He's got expectations. But I started in 20 for a reason because 
why hasn't Paul gotten there yet? Is he lazy? Is he got his feet propped up on a beach somewhere, sipping on, you know, sipping on a drink, just kind of relaxing, just kind of waiting for things to happen when it happens? No, what's he doing? He's been preaching the gospel. The calling on Paul's life has been what? To preach the gospel to, the unknow- to those who don't know him. It's been the call on his life since God changed him in Acts chapter 9. So I, I want you to hear this. Please hear this. Paul's purpose, just like we've got to figure out our purpose, is the thing that's going to drive this. And, and I know, if, in case you missed last week, this is important because we need to know the purpose of our life. And I know in a room like this, probably so many of us are still trying to figure that out. And sometimes purposes change in stages of life, in careers and vocations and in stages of life that we're still trying to figure out, God, what are you wanting to do in me? Now look right at me, church, this is important. If the call on your life is not to just live for yourself and then die someday and then go to heaven someday, how is God to use you right now, here, in your vocation, in your ministry, in your vocation, with your family, with your kids, what God has called you to do? So Paul longs to get there. He can't wait to get there. And he's excited. So let's look at what Paul wants to do in verse 22 and 24. He says this, This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you, verse 23, but now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for, for years, not m- for years, to visit you, look at verse 24, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope, I plan, I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there. And after I've enjoyed your company for quite some time. Now look at this. Paul hasn't been there. He's looking to to get there. But verse 19 and 20, he's preaching the gospel. He's doing these things and he has not yet come to them. But the reason I love this is because what we can learn from Paul, not just to look at Paul's life and say, great for Paul. What can we learn from this? Are there things in your life that you kind of have wants, things you wish you could do, things that you want to do in this life? Sure. Would you agree I've got those two. Would you agree that not all the wants in our life are maybe what God has for us at this moment in this time? Any man in this room sacrificing things in this life think, man, I've, God's called me to a place, maybe a, a vocation, maybe, maybe you're a mom, maybe you have a certain place in your job, maybe you're in school, maybe in this, that, that there's things that you would love to do. But God has called you to a place right now to serve and to, quote, bloom where you're planted in this space and in this time. Paul longs to be there. He wants to be there, and he says, I plan to do it. But I've been hindered, not in a bad way, but I've got things. Paul is sacrificing selflessly what he wants to do to do what he's got to do. God has called us. As Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 24, when Jesus talks about what it means to follow him, a selfless life, he says, whoever wants to to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow. And whoever wants to save their life, they're going to lose it. Whatever loses it for my life will find it. You see, for Paul in this text, he's living out this sacrificial life. He's living this thing out of purpose, of what he wants to do is push to the side. He's like, I'm going to do what I got to do. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I was led to a verse this morning. I'll be honest with you. I think Charlie got it on the screen for me, but, and Deb read it in the children's sermon. But I think it's so relevant. Look at 2 Corinthians. It'll be on the screen for you, chapter 5. As Paul writes to this church in Corinth, look what he says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus, he died for all. Now, that's great. Let's celebrate that. Praise God. Comma, and therefore all have died. What? Look what he says. And he died for all that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
Jesus, excuse me, Paul, to the Corinthian church that had a lot of issues and problems, looks to the resurrection, and he looks to the church, looks to the Corinthian church, he's imploring with the Roman church, and to the church in Olton, and any church that worships Jesus, and says this, your life is not about you anymore. Now, we live in a world in 2023 that we talked about this last week that loves to be self-centered and say, hey, it's all about you. Whatever you want to do, you just do you. Whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you, whatever makes you tick, whatever, and then try to squeeze God in that all you want. If you're raising kids in this world, that's what the world's trying to tell them. Just do what you love to do and then try to love God along the way. But Paul tells Corinth, Paul tell, Paul, excuse me, Paul tells the Romans, and Paul's telling us that those who have given their life to Christ Jesus, dare I say, our lives are not ours anymore. I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and I was just talking about this, and it's just an honest moment if I could just kind of push for the side about not just us as a church, but the church in general. But do we really, when, when people come to faith with children and adults, do we really help them understand in totality what that means? Do we really show them about, hey, yes, you have purchased by the blood of Jesus, get saved, get baptized, but we really understand your life is not about you anymore. And we're raising kids to say, hey, what do you want to do in this life? Well, well all these kind of things, I want to do we, do we say, hey, find what you're good at, find what you want to do and be happy and make money, get a job? Or do we tell them, say, hey, as a Christian, if they are one, say, hey, we want you to find the way that you can honor God in all that you do. Bring him glory. Bring him honor. How do you help others come to know Jesus? How do you show them Jesus? And I think this is really relevant. If I'm just going to be completely honest with you, we're us as the church and that we can understand that, that what Paul sacrificially says, I want to be with you guys, but you know what? I'm not going to go because I, I got ministry I got to get done. Now, we're not apostles. Well, we're, we're all to be sent. We're not capital A apostles, but we're all to be sent for the gospel and help people know Jesus. So for me, the, the, what God has convicted me, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian man, of, is how am I doing in this? With all due respect, can I say this out loud? It's, it's, it's easy to stand up on the stage and talk about Jesus. Do you know where it's hard to live about Jesus and tell others about Jesus? It's out there. And God nails me, just in case there's anybody in this room, God nails me, hey, not as a pastor, but as a Christian man, how are you advancing the gospel and teaching and telling others about Jesus? Paul shows us what a great example of there are times in life, and maybe you're feeling, maybe some of you are feeling this weight of, there's times where you, you want to do certain things in your life. You get that little nervous itch, you've got things, maybe you want to change a job, you want to change a career, you want to move, you want to do this, you want to do this, you're trying to figure out where your passions are, but Paul's like, I'm going to table all of that. My plans are to get to Rome, but right now I can't. And before we move to the next part, look at what he says about the relationships. And this is just a good teaching point about the church and the body. Look at the end of verse 24. Did you see what he said? He says, I plan to do so. I hope to see you while I'm passing through to Spain. I'm going to stop by. And he says, after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Did you see that? If I can bore you with original language, what that breaks down was to be filled up, to have the body, the church, to be filled up. You know, uh, that, that sometimes relationships can be hard, but be amongst the body where you just feel, man, I'm better, when I, I'm better now. I don't know about you, but I, not just because I, I, I preach, but I, I enjoy coming to church. I enjoy seeing people that I hadn't seen all week. And there's sometimes I talk and have conversations where I just feel kind of filled up. I just feel like, man, I just feel better. I just feel like, man, I just to, to kind of fellowship, and that's why we're going to fellowship next week and just do life together. He means to know their company. I want to be there. And what a, what, a, what a mark of the church to be about relationships that we can sharpen one another and love one another. Paul makes plans. 
Things don't always work out the way he plans. Anybody want to amen that? You ever made plans in your life? Anybody ever told you you don't need to make plans because God's got it all figured out to see what happens? That's wrong. The Bible's very clear. You should make plans. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. It's one of my favorite verses when people are coming to me and saying, I'm just wrestling. I don't know what to do. I don't know what God has for me. Proverbs 16, 9 says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord determines or establishes steps. Now, let me explain that because there may be some in this room that you're, you're, you're kind of waiting on something. Maybe you have things you want to do in this life, and you're just kind of feeling like, Paul, man, I want to do this, I want to do this, and, and maybe God's working in something else. But in their hearts, the Lord says we, 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 we determine our, 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 our course, if you will. But we trust him with the details down there. So if there's anybody in this room that maybe you're working, and maybe you're stressing about a decision, maybe there's life, maybe there's maybe, maybe things going on, and you just have uncertainty, and you're thinking, I just don't know what to do. I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, the pastor said, follow your heart. It'll all, no, the heart will lead you astray so often. Test all things by the word of God. Test things by the spirit. But then plot your course and make a decision and then let him handle the details down there. That's what Paul did. What did Paul do? He planned. He goes, I plan to come to you. But he didn't think he was going to be on a boat and chained and imprisoned after being shipwrecked. Some of you could get on this stage and tell me stories of your life where you planned things, but it didn't work out the way you planned. Some of you would say this, it didn't work out the way I wanted to, and I didn't really like how it fleshed out. Some of you could tell me stories about, man, it worked out better than I could ever imagine, but it's different. So if you want to put yourself against this text, number one, there are, it is a sacrificial life as a follower of Jesus. Say There are times when we need to table what we want to do to do what we got to do. And that's what we get to in verse 25 and 29. Look at what Paul has to do. He's like, I can't come see you right now because I got something bigger, dare I say more important, a task to do. In verse 25, look at what he says. I got to do. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution or an offering. They took up an offering for the poor for the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they did it on their own. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Look at verse 28. So after I've completed the task and have made sure that they have received this offering or this contributions, I will go to Spain and I will visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I'll be full of, excuse me, I will be experiencing the full measure of Christ. Paul longs to see them but what's his job? Yes, to preach and teach and be, to establish the kingdom and, and bring an offering. But, but catch this. He's got an offering that these churches have gathered and he's taken it. I don't know what that looks like. It could have been a bunch of coins, denarii, whatever. The, I don't know. But he's got something. He's got to take it with him. And he's like, hey, I've got a job to do. These churches in Macedonia and Achaia, they have taken up, taken up an offering. Sorry, I said took him. That's not good. Sorry. Taken up an offering. Taken up an offering. And he's got to deliver it to these guys. It's a beautiful picture of, uh, of the church. And, and, and just to share it with you on 2 Corinthians chapter 8, listen to what Paul says as he's talking about taking this actual offering to the church. Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You know what that means? They were poor. They were not poor. They were poor. They didn't have any money. They still took up money, they still gave up generously, and they gave it. Verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, 
and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for us to have the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded all expectations, and they gave, they gave to themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Paul says, they, these guys in the churches, they gave an offering that was sacrificial. And Paul says, I got a job to do. I got to get this money to these churches that need it. There are people that are poor in Jerusalem that need the money. I've got a job to do. So did you hear me this morning? It'll apply to you in just a minute. This is not just about Paul. Paul's like, I want to see these people that I love. I want to do this. And he's like, I got a job to do. He has to preach to the, to, to the unreached, but he's got a job to take this offering, and I'm not going to forsake that. Because I want to do something else. I love verse 28 because he says, After I have completed the task, when I've done the job, I'm not a quitter. That's my paraphrased version. Paul says, Then I'm going to come. I've been wanting to for years. As he writes this letter, but Paul submits. Here's the teaching point for you. He submits in his will to sacrifice what must be done. Let me ask you this this morning, church, because I don't, I don't know everybody's situation in this room. There are times in life where you may feel like throwing in the towel. There may be times in life where you're thinking, I don't know what to do. I'm just kind of frustrated. I want, the, I want to do these things in life. And maybe back to last week, some of you are still trying to figure out what's your purpose. What am I supposed to be doing? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in this life. So let's have a conversation. We can kind of work through this. Maybe you have ambitions. Maybe to change a job. Maybe it's big decisions. Maybe to move on in relationships that are hard, discouraged as you're raising your family and your kids to come to faith. Maybe you're wrestling with struggles and you're just kind of done. I put it in my notes here. I just put the words, hold on. You see, because Paul's life was tough. Paul's life was difficult, and he's holding on to what he's called to do and his purpose, even when it's difficult. Because here's what's going to happen. There's going to be people like preachers like me and teachers and people who write books, and they're going to tell you sometimes when you try to figure out what to do in these decisions, they're going to tell you, man, if it's hard, maybe God's trying to move you in another way. Because, but that's not what I read here today. Because in Acts chapter 20, Paul says this, and stay with me. He says this, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to do the job, and to complete the task that the Lord has given me, and to ta the task of testifying the good news about God's grace. The Holy Spirit, church, confirmed for Paul. This isn't like I got a little fuzzy feeling, a little indigestion. Maybe my buddy told me it's hard. Maybe I'm talking to a friend. The Holy Spirit confirmed in him that prison and hardships await for you. So what did Paul do? Paul didn't go, well, that's going to be tough. Maybe God's trying to steer me this way. That's not what he did. Now, please understand this. It's not an exhaustive thing if you're wrestling. That doesn't mean that God can do those things, but we test it by his, his will. But what I see in this text today, Paul's not guessing and assuming there's going to be persecution. The Holy Spirit confirmed it and told him. And we can learn from this. That just because it's hard doesn't mean we, we quit, we step into it. I said this earlier, the practical application. If I'm sitting in your chair and somebody else is up here talking, I would want to know this. How does that apply to me? What does that mean for me? Great for Paul, but what about me? Well, some of you in this room, maybe you're dealing with adversity, maybe you're dealing with purpose and struggles and decisions, and, and you're, you're holding on. I've read stories, I could tell you articles of stories, uh, maybe, maybe some that I know, some that I don't in life about pastors maybe who are dealing with difficult circumstances and maybe wanting to throw the towel in. 
people in marriages that are just, it's difficult and they're struggling, but they're just not sure what to do, and they, they know what they should do, but they're just kind of struggling. People in jobs that are having a hard time, and they don't enjoy what they do, but God's got them in a place right now that they're holding on. Maybe parents raising kids, you just kind of feel spent and done, and you want them to come to know Jesus, and it gets frustrating, and sometimes raising kids can be hard. Prayer warriors praying for healing. Farmers praying for rain, wrestling and asking God to do something. You can put your story in there all you want. But when we come before the Lord and we're petitioning him and asking him and saying, God, I need you to intervene, and we wait. I had several examples I was going to tell you, but probably one of the quickest is a personal one. I remember a long time ago when I was in Denver City, I was a youth pastor there for nine years, short version. And I remember about four, four maybe five years into it, God really confirmed for me the call of like the next step is to be a pastor somewhere. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that he was going to bless me to come here, but I knew that. We talked about it, we prayed about it, and I knew that, that I was going to finish my youth ministry in Denver City, whatever that meant. And then when, when churches would call and ask and say, hey, we, would you consider? And I was like, no. And some of them were, were churches that I probably thought maybe I would go there someday. Before I continue that, but I want you to hear this. There were times in life where I think, man, I really want to go. <laughs> I really want to go. Ministry gets hard the longer you're at someplace. Uh, maybe it'd be nice to start over. And go somewhere different. New kids, new family. Get out of the town I grew up in and just go have a fresh start and just, just do this. And, and, and God just basically said, you're going to stay there. You're going to continue to be faithful. I didn't know how long that was going to be. You're going to be a youth pastor to these kids. And when the time happens, it happens. Now, for my call and my ministry and me, I just waited and we served. And all we need to do is I'm going to be faithful to the task at hand. We're going to serve until it's time. And after nine years there, that's when God opened up the door to come here. But there were times, church, and the reason I tell you, there were times in my heart where I, I wanted to do the next thing. There may be somebody in this room, whatever it could be, it could be relationships, family, it could be whatever, and you're thinking, man, in my heart, I'm wanting to do something different. I'm wanting to do this. Paul, I want to go to Rome. I want to do these things, but God's called you to something different, and you may not even know it yet, and maybe that's where you're at trying to say, God, show me what that is. What am I supposed to be doing in the here and now? David talks about bloom where you're planted. I don't know what that means. We pray and we ask him. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He had things he had to do. It was his calling, his ministry, his task. So we've seen quickly, we've seen what Paul wanted to do. We saw what he had to do. But look what he's asking the church to do. And we're going to talk about prayer for just a few minutes before we wrap up. He turns it from them, looking at his own life, and now he's going to look to the church and say, here's what I'm calling on you, the church in Rome. Look at verse 30. I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by our calling, excuse me, by our Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle, to jump in the pool, get in the game. Come on, join with me in the struggle by praying to God for me. Here's what I want you to pray for. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution, this offering that I have, that I'm taking to Jerusalem, it may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with all joy, by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace, as a closing prayer, be with you always. What's Paul pleading with the church to do? Pray. Now, what is prayer? Let's talk about this, and this is going to go quickly. Prayer is, is communicating with the Lord, communicating with God. Sometimes we teach it incorrectly. We just talk it to God. It's also listening. But we speak and we listen and we receive. I talked about this at prayer meeting this week. I asked the question. I said, why do we pray if the God of the universe knows everything? The answer to it, it's already done. Let me get real, real, 
real quickly. We pray for healing. We pray for strength. We pray for our babies to come to know Jesus. We pray for these things. God already knows that. So why are we even praying? Is it a waste of time to pray when God already knows the answer? And no, it's not. I'm being facetious here. I see some head shaking. Thank you. Then why do we do it? Is prayer for God? Is prayer in hopes that we can change God's mind? You see, the purpose of prayer is not to simply try to coerce God or to change the course. It is to get our hearts in line with His. Now, this is it. If, I, if, I, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to understand this because the purpose of prayer is to align us, to wrestle in our souls, to find His will. Listen to what David Nasser says in, this, in a book I read a long time ago. He says, the purpose of prayer, this is important, it may be a little different than maybe you've been taught about prayer. The purpose of prayer is not to change God's mind. It's to get our hearts in line with His will and His Spirit. It helps us continually recognize our complete dependence on Him. Now, this is convicting for me, maybe not for you. Far too often, especially with young Christians, prayer is tremendously self-focused. We want to bring our wants to God, and we can give Him the whole truckload. Certainly, God, certainly asking God to provide is a very important part of prayer, but it's only in part the primary, hear this, the primary purpose of prayer is to give us a vehicle or a means to praise and worship Him and help us know God and discover His will. Now you think that's a long quote, but that last part is so important to help us figure out what He wants us to do, to figure out what our purpose in our life. And I go back to chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 1, where, where Paul says we're to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. We submit ourselves to Him, and He says then, in verse 2, you will be able to test and approve what? What God's will is. We see, we offer ourselves, we're transformed we're changed. And prayer is hard because sometimes God tells us no, sometimes God, is, God tells us to wait, and sometimes he says yes. And I was thinking about prayer, I was thinking about kind of closing this sermon up, and I was thinking about how we're going to pray in just a minute, but I just, how's your prayer life? Can I ask you this question? Is your prayer life like mine sometimes where I have a laundry list of things and I just kind of, I re, you know, it, it's me. Those who know me pretty well, I've been convicted about the last month at prayer meeting. We'd love to have you at prayer meeting at 7 if you want to come pray. I've been shameless plug there, but I'd love to have you pray. But God's been hammering me. Where God literally had to hit me and say, David, are you done yet? Because i got things I'd like to say too. Just to sit there and be still and to listen. Because if I'm not careful, then maybe this is not for you, but if I'm not careful, I've got a lot of things I want God to come and do. Change. Do. Show me. Help me. Give me. And then I think about what this purpose is. Do you see what Paul's language and the language, what he means by joining me in the struggle? If any athletes in the room, this will help. He's using competitive language. He's saying, join me in the struggle. Is your prayer life competitive? Where you wrestle and you, you have angst. And in those moments where you're praying, hear this, let me get as serious as I can be, when you're praying for healing, you're praying for God to come through, God, give me wisdom, God, help me to know what to do with my job, help me to know my, these relationships with my kids, and you hear silence, and God doesn't seem to answer right away, do we just move on, or do we wrestle and let him to shape us and mold us? God, am I asking the wrong thing? Would you teach me and show me what I'm supposed to be asking for? Now, hear this. This is so important. It'll help you. It's monumentally, I pray. It's in those moments in prayer, when God's showing us and teaching us, and it's in the still, small voice of our spirit, where God's changing. God changes us in prayer as we wait with open hands for him to answer as his will would unfold.
quickly. I, 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 I was thought about a guy named Epaphras in Colossians 4. And Paul mentions him three times, and he mentions him in Colossians 4.12, and he says this, Epaphras, who was one of you and your servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. Look at what he says. Look at the description of Epaphras' life. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. What a, what a man. I confess to you, I hope that that's a mark that maybe sometimes people can say that, man, David, is a, he's a messed up person. He's an okay pastor, a messed up person, but he, he will pray. And I, I got to do better. What about you as a mom, as a dad, as, as whatever your vocation is, is that, man, he is always, she is always, they are always wrestling in prayer. Did you see that wrestling? There's that competitive word again. It's not like, God, help me this, forgive me for this, give me this. It is a wrestle in prayer. Paul is using the language and asking the church to hold on. I'm going to close with this, and i got one scripture to read that we're going to pray. A long time ago, those of you who are a part of our church, you know that we help Indian mission, ministry excuse me, and do missions. And uh, when Godwin first came, he shared a story, and he asked the church, he said, hey, ask us to hold the rope. That's what a lot of people talk about, prayer. And he gave the example because the primary missionary named William Carey, who went to India a long time ago, made a statement. He says, not everybody's called to go. And he, he, he equated missions with like going into a dark mine. He said, not everybody's called to go. And what Godwin stood on this stage and he says, but we're asking for you to hold the rope. That's the plea where Paul is asking the church in Rome to pray. And he's saying, I'm asking you to hold the rope. Not everybody's called to do what I'm called to do. Not everybody's called to do what you're going to do. But he's asking us as Christians to pray, to wrestle, to, to test and approve what God, what do you want? Because it's in those moments, please hear this. It is in those moments when you're praying and you're struggling and we're not just saying, dear God, and it helped me this and then go back to life where we sit and we wrestle and we strain and we get frustrated and we get teary-eyed, we get emotional, we let ourselves sit and linger, we ask the Lord to show us and he begins to change and shape us and speak to us in ways we never had before. That's what, do, what God does. God changes us in our prayer. So I ask you this as I close today. How's your prayer life? Is it competitive? Is it wrestling with the Lord? Can we learn from this with Paul? Where he's like, man, I, I want to do this, but this is what God has called me to do. Maybe adversity, maybe you're difficult. Hold fast, stay true. Test and approve what the will of God is for your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads where you're at for just a minute. We're not going to sing a song. We're going to do something a little different. But just with every head bowed, every eye closed for just a minute. We're not going to sing. I'm just going to ask you to pray and give you a moment before we're close for the day. Paul says this, Philippians chapter 4, says, don't be anxious about anything. And that anything could be your anything, whatever that is. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, it's not going to make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. So everyone in this room, I'm not asking anybody to raise hands and do anything. I'm going to ask you to divide your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. If your heart and your mind needs to hear from the Lord today, just I want you to talk to him. I want, you, I want to give you some space and time before we leave and go back to the busyness of life and lunch and, 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 and your Sunday afternoon and work tomorrow. I want to give you a moment. I just want to give you a chance to pray. Maybe there's somebody in this room where you're just struggling with his will in your life and you're just not sure what to do. Maybe you need to sit still in this room right now. Just listen to the music. 
and don't say a word. Just listen to him. And maybe there's some that are, that are dealing with brokenness that need to come down as in an attitude of submission and, and kneel on the stage and just say, God, I need you to speak to me. Maybe you need to turn to somebody next to you and, and pray for them. Pray for your kids. Pray for your spouse. Pray for a loved one. It's awkward. But I would love to awkwardly give you about two minutes of just sitting still. To be still and to listen to be challenged, to be blessed, to be encouraged, to wrestle in prayer. God, what do you want? What am I supposed to be doing in this situation? Would you speak to me? And if you're willing, before we pray and finish the service, would you do just that? Every head bow, every eye closed. If you want to move, come on down. If you just want to sit still, if you want to pray and stand up, that's great. This is your time. You take it and you use it as you be led.